we got ourselves a Final Four. And we got one team that we loved at the beginning of the season, and then they just completely disappeared, and all of a sudden they went back to the team we thought they were. And then there's Miami and San Diego and FAU, and it has been a ride to say the least in this tournament. We bring on Eric Haslam, the founder of HaslamMetrics.com. Is, there's nobody that can make us smarter uh, than Eric Haslam. And I, I want to <laughs> just start with that Final Four matchup, man. Like, Yeah. It's... Your, your thought, like, are you surprised? Is there any surprise in there? Are they all surprises to you? Where do you sit? Well, every year everybody talks about, like, this is the year where there's a lot of parity. And, you know, it's, it's, it's natural that with the world of the transfer portal that this kind of outcome is going to become more and more commonplace. So I think a lot of people say that every year there's a lot of parity, but it comes and goes. This year it really landed smack dab right in the middle of the NCAA tournament. When you talk about a 4, 5, and a 5, and a 9 getting there, um, it's probably one of those things, if you would have told me this a few weeks ago, if I would have believed it, I would be like, no, come on. Even in the situation where you have parity, you're going to have someone like a two or a three creeping their way through. But the fact that you only have a, your top seed is a four and you have a two fives and a nine after that, um, it, it speaks to the level of parity that you have in college basketball that everybody's been talking about. But, you know, is it is it a coincidence? We'll have to see if this is ongoing in several years into the future, if you're going to start seeing this more commonplace, or if this is just going to be a blip on the radar and next year we go back to ones and twos in the Final Four. Eric, I'm, I'm looking here at Miami and how well they've played down the stretch. And it's not just their guard play and their offense that impressed me yesterday against Texas, but defensively how active they've been without fouling. Um, what do you think about this matchup between them and UConn? Because five and a half points Miami is getting against UConn, who looks really, really good. They've pretty much destroyed every single team that's been in their path. But to me, that feels like a little too many points. Well, you know, here's the thing. Um, I thought that Miami was going to be a team that was going to be victimized right away just because they had that fingerprint of a team that typically doesn't perform well in the NCAA tournament, a team that's very strong offensively, but let's face it, is remarkably mid-defensively. They were not even in our top 100 um, in defensive efficiency coming into the tournament. Now they have outperformed in three of the four games they've played. Um, I still think that they get here. I think Laranaga is a genius, first of all. I think they get here on offense, but the defense has notably improved over time. The other thing about Miami, which is really really remarkable to me, is when you look at I – I have a rating called the away from home rating, and it measures your game efficiency performances – um, away from home versus the entire schedule. And usually you see teams like a Miami from the ACC or an SEC team really have not so great an AFH. And the reason for that is because you have the Duke, you think Rutgers, these places have great home court advantage for these power six schools. With Miami away from home coming into the tournament, I think they were fifth in the country. And I, d I took a closer look at, at this. If you look at their game ratings, which you can see at my site, Haslametrics.com, you can click on the team summary for Miami, look at the game ratings in the far right column of their schedule. Outside of the win at home against Duke, their next 10 best performances were away from Coral Gables. 13 of their next 14 performances were away from, from Coral Gables. So, I, you know, it, for whatever reason, I can't put my finger on it, but Miami, they are the road warriors of road warriors that I've seen in this tournament. Just for whatever reason, they just succeed away from home. I'm curious. Uh, they came back from 13 down with pretty much all twos. Do you think that's a – and we, we heavily weight three-point shooting teams uh, and their success in the tournament. Do you think that is an indication of something that's going to be success for them, or is that something that's 
harmful to them? Well, it really depends on the opposition. I think that's going to be far, far more of a problem for them to succeed against Connecticut, just knowing how Connecticut's defense could be. They're, they're fifth in the country in defensive um, um, adjusted defensive field goal percentage. They're, they're number 11 um, against the three. They're number five in the mid-range, 18 from near proximity. There isn't a weakness for UConn, and that's part of the reason why I picked them before the tournament to be my pick. Remember, I, I may have mentioned this before, one of the things that I said for a blueprint to be a national champion, you want to be top 10 in offensive efficiency, top 35 in defensive efficiency coming into the tournament. Coming into the tournament, there were three teams that had that, Purdue, um, Houston, and UConn. Um, the fourth was Arizona. They were 36th in defensive efficiency. But even if you include them, those three are gone. The only team left standing is UConn, and this is why I picked them going into the tournament and why I think they're going to be left standing here in just another week. Florida Atlantic, obviously a great season. You know, 31 wins. And I know they have Golden, and he's seven foot one, but they're the smallest team in the country, and they're out-rebounding teams. They did it against Tennessee. Then they had 44 rebounds to Kansas State's 22, which absolutely shocked me. How do you, like, when you power rate this team, though, I mean, we're looking at the spread. It's one and a half against San Diego State. The total is 131 and a half. What would you make this number? Do you think that that's a fair number, a fair price? And what do you like in the game? Oh, in this, I mean, my numbers very closely match Vegas on this one. Right now I have this one as, uh, as San Diego State by almost exactly two points. I look at the latest spread. The spread is two. I know that there's a little bit of a difference in the over-under. I know the over-under last I saw was 131.5. I think I have it exactly just maybe a shade over 130. Um, so nothing really surprising here. I think these are very two two very evenly matched teams. I almost kind of think of that Spider-Man meme that you see on Twitter where they point to yeah. each other. Um <laughs> It, it's kind of the same thing when you look at how these teams match up with one another. It's it's you know the differences in their their rankings is very similar. If you look at, I mean, it's defense versus defense. But San Diego State is fourth in defense. Thirty, uh, uh, Florida Atlantic is thirty eighth in in offense. You're talking about a difference of about thirty. You go to the other side of the court, Florida Atlantic seventeenth on defense, San Diego State forty seventh. Again, thirty. Um, but there's still a slight advantage there. Um, nothing really jumps out at me on this. I mean, I see a slight advantage for momentum for San Diego State. I think Florida Atlantic plays a little bit better away from home, but those are going to kind of offset each other. I like the feel of this two-point spread, and that's where Vegas has it as well. Eric, what do you make of these really tales of two halves we've had in a lot of games where, you know, it looks like UCLA is completely, like, they're going to just run away with a win. Oh, just kidding. Never mind. Here comes Gonzaga. And you watch them go 10 minutes without scoring. And then we, you know, see the same thing with Texas. And is it, is there a common trend or is it just individual games had individual flows? It's a game of runs and that that's the result we got. Individual games, individual runs. This is why I kind of always laugh when people ask me before the, you know, back in February, who's going to win the Final Four? And I'm like, you never know. I mean, out of the blue, somebody can come out there and put together. And I think of like last year, I think of North Carolina. North Carolina was one of the most inconsistent teams in Division One, And all of a sudden, they played consistently great basketball throughout that tournament. Nobody saw that coming. Same thing with Purdue. I, never, I was never really big on Purdue. I thought that they might, uh, um, you know, kind of, crumple up under the, the hot lights of March with uh, two freshman guards and I thought there were the reliance on Edie was going to be a problem but no way in a million years should they lose to a team that was 10th worst in Division 1 in, in defensive efficiency. That happened. Um, so when it comes to the tournament you know, it's it's about runs. It's about who who's prepared to play. These are the intangibles that you can't predict with metrics. So it's always kind of, I mean, you can look at the, the analytics and kind of say, 
hey, this is the evidence of the crime scene. This is what's supposed to happen. But we have to remind ourselves these are human beings and young human beings in the college game. So they're going to make mistakes. Some guys are going to be prepped. Some that some guys aren't, and that's largely up to coaching. If UConn and San Diego State both win this weekend, what do you think the number is between them? Well, I can tell you right now, because of UConn's last performance, they really kind of separated themselves from the field. I think I said the la- the, the next closest team, and this I think it was going to be Houston, if I remember. The, the spread was three and a half or something like that. But then Houston is no longer around anymore. So um, looking at it right now, um, against San Diego State on a neutral court, I have that number at about five and a half in favor of UConn. Um, I have it even bigger. I, I failed to mention about it before. I have it at over seven right now for um, for Connecticut over Miami. Now, that's you can look at this and say, well, Miami's on a run. They have played better away from, from home, and they've got that road warrior mentality. So I can see why people would put a little bit more money on Miami. But for me, the analytics, I still think that UConn is just, you know, knock on wood, they're just playing on God mode right now. And for me, I'm just not I, – I, I said to my bud, I, if you told me that UConn wins these next two games by 30-plus each time, wouldn't surprise me one bit. Wow. Why, why do you have UConn as a bigger favorite over Miami than San Diego State? Oh, it's just it's just you know where the rankings fall. So right now, UConn is my number one team in the country. Um, none, none of the other remaining teams are in my top ten. San Diego State is the closest at eleven. Uh, Miami is seventeen, and Fl- uh, Florida Atlantic is eighteen. So it's just you know you go to the site and and you can it just spits out the results that I have based gotcha. on uh, the analytics that I feed into it. And so nice, not out of my control. We're we're talking about a Final Four where we get a nine seed against a five seed. I wanted to ask you, has anything changed the way that you make your power ratings or the way that you make numbers, like as far as home court advantage or anything? Has it changed in college basketball the last couple years? Because I just feel like everything's a lot different. You know, from when I first started betting the game, I felt like home court advantage meant a little bit more. Key numbers, like seven and a half. If a team was down seven, usually they'd wave the white flag. Now teams foul down nine, ten points. I just, I feel like things have changed a little bit. Has there been any adjustments uh, to the way that you power rate or make your numbers or no, not really, kind of the same thing. Kind of the same thing, but there are some variables involved. Like, for example, the home court advantage that you see is a blanket home court advantage. Um, so what I will do is I will look at last year's home and away games where a team played. You might have Wisconsin at Ohio State, Ohio State at Wisconsin. That's one sampling of a game, and you say, well, what was the difference in efficiency? And you get gather all those together, and then you use that the following season. So that may alter over time. But for the most part, the algorithm itself is pretty standard. I haven't made many changes to it. Um, they are raw ratings, and that's the reason I say raw ratings is I, a lot of these intangibles that I talk about, like momentum, like consistency, like that away from home rating, um, another one called the paper tiger factor. Mm-hmm. I don't weigh those in in the raw fact. Those are kind of things that you add after the fact. For the most part, I just kind of want to have a raw expectation based on what they've done in the past this season. And then going forward, if you want to make eye test adjustments, so to speak, you can do that based on things like momentum and consistency. Any adjustments for coaching? Like Izzo, anytime we get into March, maybe against an inexperienced coach, first or second year young coach or something like that, or not so much? That's more of just... Nothing that you're going to see inside of uh, the analytics. That's going to be one of those eye test adjustments. Um, I do factor in coaching changes in the preseason numbers. So there's a baseline that goes into that based on a linear equation. Um, That is really the only time I take coaching into account is in the preseason. 
Eric, do you think there's any sort of... I don't want to say like a changing of the guard or anything, but we talked a lot this year about the lack of blue bloods and inconsistency from some of them. And certainly Kentucky and Duke are ones you think of that have a lot of the one and dones. And you see these veteran teams get to this point here in the final four. You got the NIL deals and transfer portal and all these different mm-hmm. things. Like, are you, is this more, because again, I know there's parody in college basketball, certainly in the tournament, but this certainly felt more extreme this year. Is that just kind of, Hey, sometimes that's how seasons go. Where do you think that there is sort of a shift in college basketball a little bit where these teams that are smaller programs are finding ways to win, like when you're FAU and you're the smallest team in the country? I think you're starting to see a little bit of a glacial shift. And I think that's um, this is something people have been talking up for years. But, you know, I think we're going to probably have to see what happens over the span of the next five to ten years to truly know for sure. I think a lot of people said going forward, yeah, once these guys are able to jump in the portal, if you're a guy who's a quality four-star player who just can't find court time, you're going to go over and play in a mid-major, and all of a sudden, you know, if you get enough of the right guys in the right system, they can be competitive, which is what you're seeing right now out of FAU. I don't think we have those answers right now. We could very well next year see a one versus a one and a one versus a two in the Final Four, and people are going to say, see, it was just a, it was just a one-off last year. But we don't know that. You know, even next year, if that happens, we don't know for sure. I think we kind of have to look at kind of a rolling five- or ten-year period, get a glimpse of that before we really get an idea of how the transfer portal is affecting this. Can't leave you before we talk a little NIT. Uh, Wisconsin uh-huh. plays North Texas Go tomorrow. Badgers. Utah Valley plays UAB. What are your numbers telling you is the is the best number to take here? I got, I've got North Texas by two in that game. Um, that's a, a 58-56 final. I've got uh, the other one is about a two-point difference, too. I've got UAB 75-73 in that one, so that'll set up a final uh, between North Texas and, and UAB, an all-conference USA final if that occurs, but don't count out my Badgers. Man, Conference USA. What a year for Conference USA. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Jeez. It's, it has been one Thanks, of those Eric. years. Eric Haslam, HaslamMetrics.com, at HaslamMetrics on Twitter as well. Always love talking to you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Take care.